0: From NBI Studio, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 12, Episode 5, A Broader Look. In this week's episode, we dug much deeper into the victimology, specifically of John and Vicky, plus a little more about Becky. We had a lot of new information, and this one it generated a lot of discussion. Janet, who's joining me uh, via Zoom, said she has a bunch of questions and notes herself. And Zach, who's sitting across from the table from me, has a notepad in front of him. We've got a ton of questions from you. So right after a break, we'll get right into them. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer.
2: You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it.
0: But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates.
2: And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special.
0: From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, we are back, everybody. We have so much to talk about today. But before we dive deep into this latest episode, I do need to check how your live show went. It happened. Bob, how was it?
0: It happened. It was an absolute blast. We had just over 100 people Which was a lot, but it was a little. We we discussed on stage how uh, Kelly and the captain, when they scheduled this, nor did I notice. None of us noticed that it was the night before Easter. Yeah. Which, based on our messages, I think we would have had probably another couple hundred more had it not been a holiday weekend. But it was it was fun. I think everybody. There was a lot of people in our YouTube chat that were there. seemed Everybody seemed to really like it. It was a solid two hour show. We. We literally laughed and cried and Kelly's a rock, by the way. Captain and I both cried at one point on stage. Um Aww. and then we all laughed a lot. Kelly was a my, my my Captain and I are sobbing on the other side. She's just I think she said she's like, I guess I'm just a cold hearted bitch because I don't <laughs> see it. And Kelly Kelly, who was our new editor, was editing this. So hey, I wanna say too, when you guys listen to this. If anything's not quite how it normally sounds, this is literally Kelly's very first episode that she's so editing. So you're going
1: to want to write her and at her, at Kelly. No, I'm totally kidding. Do not do any of those things.
0: If you don't like it, make sure to send all of your complaints right to Kelly. No. No complaining. Um, but yeah, so just, just just, be aware of that. We have a new editor. It's a very complicated process, so things don't sound exactly like that. And I know I know, all of you are, are very uh, compassionate people and wouldn't give her a hard time anyway. But... um yeah the the show was was amazing we had an absolute blast captain and i had wasn't planned probably a 45 minute I would say this close to heated debate over the JonBenet Ramsey case. <gasps> really?
1: Oh, I'm so yeah. mad I missed it. I mean, there was no way I could get there, and it was pff, Easter weekend. What were you thinking? But, uh, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so curious. Did you guys record it at all? Is that something that any of us can listen to a version of or anything?
0: We did, and I think that we're going to – I don't have the audio link yet, but I think that we're going to release um, – Probably release the audio version on True Crime Binge. And then there is a video that they said it's going to take a few weeks to get to us. And and my thought were since all of you who are on Patreon um are so kind to to help support us and do stuff like that and could make it to the show, that we'll probably put the video version on for all the patrons nice. to be able to watch.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea.
2: Yep. So I want to know the more important news for this. Did anybody confuse you with the cap? Uh, no, despite you trying to make that happen, that's disappointing. I really did try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: telling you, I'm gonna If I can get it done between now and CrimeCon, I'm going to put a to put together a chart, a Zach Bob Captain ID chart. So if anybody that comes across a large bearded, tattooed man, so they can help distinguish and know who's Zach and who's Bob, and who is the captain. So great. that'll be fun. I think it's really funny.
1: I hope it happens. I love it.
0: Yep. So yeah, live show was great when we were we walked away saying let's do more. So we're already right now looking at putting one together for Indianapolis, probably sometime this summer. Oh, They'll nice. be on the lookout for that.
1: Outstanding. Well, yeah, keep us posted. And you also were doing that show knowing that you were dropping a doozy of an episode for the listeners to check out. Yikes. There's a lot that you revealed to us in this last episode. I was pretty intrigued. Um, and I know we got a ton of great questions
0: before we get into into those listener questions you have uh you have the floor for a couple minutes for any any thoughts any Janet thoughts
1: well and, and zap too what do you i mean what did you think buddy were you as blown away as i was by some of the stuff especially knowing that there were audio files that just didn't have any written accompaniments no no write ups nothing you saw right bob that was sort of breaking down that's you that's why you had to go through everything and listen to it the idea of just happening upon right. that stuff seemed kind of amazing
0: to me right zap well yeah
1: i said right zap
0: Right, I heard you. <laughs> That's how it goes. Listen, it goes. listen. I tried to make you talk first. You already put it on Zach, so I'm taking it back I'm and bring, I'm sending I it back to, to you.
1: I'm bringing <laughs> him in. I want to know what he thought.
0: But yeah, so j- yeah, just to clarify that, yeah. So there was I've gone through the police reports in the chronological order, and I'm like, they haven't, you know, originally, and I'm like, they didn't look into any kind of victimology about John and Vicky at all. Like I had said earlier. Then I have this list of all these police interviews that I, I converted them all to a format that was I was able to listen in. And then I'm, I just, I just have these names, and I'm like, and literally would, would do like a search through the police file to see, okay, who is this person trying to find a report attached to it, and there's nothing, and so I just would listen to them, and then it's like, oh, that's John's boss. This is interesting, yeah. and yeah, so that's that's how those those came about. Wow. Your thoughts, Zach? It,
2: it was almost comical that these had no reports to them. I mean, and mm-hmm. I say that, you know, I don't say that lightly, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but it, it just. It's crazy to me that they had all these audio files and nothing came of it. And I came into the episode really trying to be open-minded. Like I tried to put aside the things we already know. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert, at this point, should be a suspect. Rightfully yep. so, should be a suspect. But I tried to put that aside right now. I just want to hear what we have out of these interviews. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot there, they're really, I mean, John's boss, Tim, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he really came out with a lot of information that I didn't expect. You know, one of the biggest things I took away there's many things I took away. But one of the biggest things I took away was the fact that he said that John made sixty to $70,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I, I would never have suspected that in the slightest bit. Yeah, all we've heard is that they were broke all the time. Yeah, that he was broke. And then, you know, they would also say that he couldn't make it through the weekend without needing his check. Mm-hmm. When there was times, it didn't sound like he needed one recently, but there was times where he needed advancements. He's just hemorrhaging money somewhere.
0: Yeah, and there's a web there too. stuff so I couldn't fit it all into the episode. And some of the audio is so bad that it's really, like Mike did a good job cleaning up some of these to make them. And they still weren't great, but they made he made them listenable. But, yeah, the interviews with some other people like neighbors around the scene that that talk about the, the, the like three different people called them recluses. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't go out, they come home, they stay home, they keep to themselves. So it's like and and some of them are the ones that, that but he's done work for me and he's done work for my neighbor and my son. And he does a lot of other work. That's all they're saying is like so he makes that much money. We know the more – I actually do have their bank records. Their mortgage payment was like $900 a month, and they're both working. They don't seem to ever go
2: out. They don't have new cars or car loans. Where the hell is all the money going? Yeah, it's strange. And, you know, we you kind of touched on gambling. I don't know how much gambling is involved. Obviously, we don't know unless we know his habits. You know, we touched on the one thing where they kind of had like an NFL bet. A lot of people do that. That's really not – I mean, I understand that as technically gambling, but a lot of people do that. And I wouldn't say they're gamblers because they do
0: that. Or and or my, my point was that we can't say that he's not a gambler because anecdotally Tim thought, well, he's not a gambler because he didn't even get into in the school this year. That's you know? true. Like we, I, I think that's still an unknown factor. But then you have the fact that uh, according to his neighbors. That once he goes, they're just home all the time. He doesn't go anywhere. You'd think he'd be like out at a casino somewhere or something if there was a, a gambling issue. But we just we, we definitely don't know.
2: I mean, that's quite a bit of money to just have to have advancements for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it just seems crazy to me that, that he's literally hemorrhaging money. Where is it going? Right. Obviously, he wasn't paying his ex. You know, he just recently started paying his ex. So that's right. not it wasn't going there. Mm-hmm. I
1: had to go back and listen to the very first episode of this season in which you laid out a bunch of stuff. That at the time, you know, it sort of sinks in, but it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as when you get additional information. So I went back and listened to you kind of talking about what you had found out at that point about, you know, the tax lien and, you know, wondering mm-hmm. about John. And it was very interesting. To hear you talking about the rumors about Ron and the fact and, you know, you even said it seems unlikely that he would be angry about the boyfriend moving into this house. It was so many years ago. So it's very interesting to see how some of the stuff is kind of unfurling and um, and indicating itself. And also it felt like the cops in some of these interviews, it felt like they were really asking good questions that were sort of guiding towards investigation that would maybe happen you know so that's what's interesting to me it's like they got a lot of information and at the time they were present to following up and asking questions like why do you think that happened what tell me more about the money so the idea that there isn't any paperwork to follow this up really makes me feel like is there paperwork and it's just not in this file like either way it's not good either it's not it's missing for a reason and that's not good or there isn't any and that's not good
0: well, we get a little insight into that. So one of the things that was it was irritating me was, so this is a, a triple homicide investigation where you have to gather evidence. And John's, uh, the must have been the wife or the daughter that was in the room, was like, oh, yeah, I can get you his 1099s and his and his payroll receipts. I can make copies of all that. And the, and the detective says, oh, I don't need copies. Just tell me. Right. I'm like, what the hell do you mean you don't need copies? Just tell me. Like, th- that was insane. I want to point so Teresa Dunn in the in the YouTube chat wants to know if I actually just found those interviews or these recordings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of jumping back to what you said, the things that were kind of foreshadowed in the first episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, I knew the recordings were there, but I hadn't listened to them yet. I was I had only listened to the interviews for the people who I knew who they were thinking that as I got further into the police file, then I would you know start to see where the police were going and why the other ones were there. So no. But like you had mentioned, like the tax lien, you know, that, that indicated to me that there was some sort of issue. There was another interview with one of John's co-workers that I didn't play that did say that John had talked to him about how he's trying to pay off some IRS debt. So I think I was right about that, that the debt wasn't the child support, I don't think, mm-hmm. even though that was one of the options. But it sounds like his ex-wife wasn't pursuing that money. So he wasn't real too concerned about it. But it does make sense why he was keeping trying to keep his money off the book.
1: And Zap, what did you think about the ex-wife's interview? The idea that the kids got together, that they actually got together and were trying to come up with what could have maybe happened. And they came up with those three things. What do you think about that?
2: I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to fathom what what happened and how they kind of brought those ideas together. I guess I'm a little confused on that part of the interview, I guess. Listening to their ideas of how things could have happened. And bringing the kids together, I I, I just don't know. Yeah. Well,
0: as far as like the money owed from Ron and I took one thing that I took out of those was Chuck. And I had to go back and re-listen to the first interview mm-hmm. because, you know, they say that, you know, Becky had moved in with Chuck, who was a boyfriend between right. uh, Ron and John, which after she divorced Ron, there was this Chuck that must not have lasted very long. And then there was John. And because her friends had all said she went to live with her dad, mm-hmm. which then then I'm like, did she, did she see him as like a father figure? There's a whole lot of things that questions that raises about a relationship with her dad to me. But then I went back and listened to the first interview and we sort of get confirmation of that when the boss says, yeah, she, yeah her senior year she had moved down and she w- she wasn't staying with her biological father. It was like an ex-boyfriend of of uh, Vicky's that she was staying with.
1: We have a lot of questions about kind of past relationship stuff. And I think looking for clarification on that from mm-hmm. uh, from our listeners. Do you want to dig into some of that and any remaining Yeah, let's stuff? do that. OK, great. Let's actually start out, if you don't mind, with the money, because there was a lot of feedback and questions that came from mm-hmm. this idea of the one hundred seventy five thousand dollars.
2: That really jumped out to me as well. And it was a very specific number. I mean, they they said it multiple times. It wasn't a guessing number that they came up with. It yeah. was a number that they knew that had been told to them multiple times. Right. So, so it's it's strange. Do we know anything about where Ron's pension came from and what that that payout would be? Well, we know that he was
0: a sheriff and he was retired, so he had a pension coming. The, the arrangement is not uncommon, being a fireman mm-hmm. for years. And I knew several firemen who went through divorces and lost part of of course, I went through a divorce as a fireman, but my wife was a teacher who also had a pension. So we were both just kind of like, you keep yours, I'll keep mine. Um, but it's not uncommon for them to get half of that, and it doesn't get paid out until they retired. In California specifically, I think it's nationally, it's called a Quora. It's like Q-R. There's there's an abbreviation as far as how the, the law that defines once that once a court orders that, how it gets paid out later. I believe it's it's federal law. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where the pension came from.
2: Well, so that's I mean, that's what I'm getting at, I guess, is they kept calling it an inheritance. Do we know if that's if it was truly an inheritance or do we think it's part of that, that pension payout? I said that I assume that that and, and that it was
1: Jason called you out for it. Understandably.
2: Go ahead and read Jason's well, Jason. Well,
1: Jason said, <laughs> and this is a similar sentiment from Christine, like you were saying, Zap, wondering about this idea of friends being seeming so sure it was an inheritance as if someone had passed away versus this idea of it coming directly from Ron. So Jason says, you know, the word assume was used again in this episode. One can only assume that this was the $175,000. That's a quote from Jason of what you said. Not a fan of assumptions. He says, since you already stated it wasn't in the records about where that money was coming from, how can we shore it up so that it isn't an assumption? I agree. $175,000 owed a year after retirement is a red flag and opens up a whole ton of potential questions about Ron and any financial pressure he may have been under. So People looking for that clarification. Can we stop assuming? How can we find out if it's the real
2: thing?
0: I, I, I can't argue with the sentiment, Jason, that I don't like assumptions either. I threw that in because I want to I want to make sure I'm clear as, to point out that we don't know that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. The evidence, the the circumstantial evidence seems to be pointing that direction, that they're all saying they're coming into this large sum of money and it's coming from someone on Vicky's side they think it's an inheritance they're getting and maybe john even told them it's an inheritance and then we find out oh yeah from the from from john's ex that she had a large sum of money she said substantial amount of money that was coming from ron that he was fighting in court and didn't want to pay and we go back and listen again to that first interview and you hear him say that they've been having trouble getting it but they think that they're about to finally get this large sum of money so it would seem like Probably that's in. And again, I don't disagree with you, Jason. I don't like assumptions either. But it, it would seem like those dots sure seem connected, unless there's another inheritance coming somewhere that or, she's also having a hard time getting.
1: Just to throw a monkey wrench into it, Valeria pointed out that it that be, the, he says the detective says the family didn't know about the source of the hundred seventy five thousand right. dollars, and that John and Vicky hadn't seen them since Christmas. So I think a lot of us, like Valeria, are wondering. Okay, so who's the family, and why don't they know what that money is? If that's what he's saying,
0: right? Yeah, and and that's another reason why I thought it seems unlikely that it was an actual inheritance, because that would seem like something that the the family I would think would be the surviving daughters and John's surviving children. I would guess, or, or who the family is, and then John had a couple of sisters too um, that I, I, I listened through their interviews. Mostly they're talking with them. They're talking about DNA being used for comparison to try to identify the body. Yeah. So again, that adds more to it to me that if someone died who was, you know, wealthy to an extent and was going to leave them this money, it would seem like the family would probably know about that, I think. But I just I can't I can't get us past assumption unless I can find the actual records. And that gets real hard because California has some very strict privacy laws and so if the police didn't investigate it, it's not in the file. It's very difficult for me to get it. I'm I'm, I'm working on it. And I'm searching through, trying to find out.
1: It almost seems like because he was a public service, I don't know, sorry to interrupt, but I, in, my, in my mind all of a sudden I thought, well, he is, if we're quote unquote paying his salary because he was a sheriff, maybe there's something right.
0: there. I don't know. You'd think so, but this this it would be a civil issue probably personally between him and you know he's probably he would probably have to file some sort of motion if he was actually fighting it in court like the ex said he would have to file a, a motion with a judge basically saying so the the federal government for so the federal laws lay out exactly how that money has to be paid so my guess is if he was fighting it in court what he was fighting was maybe an appeal to the judge's ruling from the divorce saying that she shouldn't be getting half of his pension because of x y and z and it could be, and I'm completely speculating here, I just want to make that clear, there there may have been a clause, I've seen clauses that say if the spouse remarries, then she doesn't get it, and he could be making an argument of, well, they've been living together for 10 years, they're common-law married, you know,
2: who knows? So whether it's a, a settlement or an inheritance, we don't know where it's coming from, but we can lean pretty heavily on the fact that we believe it's going to Vicky, not right. John
0: both 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 interviews say that it's going and there's more I started to say there's there's more from the uh, the the daughters that the, the, they were aware of the fact that they were that Vicky was owed this money from Ron and that he was going to be using some of it to try to catch up his back child support which was really just It sounded like he I mean you know she wasn't fighting for that but he was just trying to make it right and catch those back child support payments up well
2: and it seemed like they had a pretty good relationship
0: yeah at, at least Friendly enough that she should I heard her say that the, the John's daughters and Vicky's daughters had dance classes together and she talked to Vicky sometimes. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like it was a very hostile.
2: Well, and if they're close enough that Vicky is telling her things about Ron, like right. about their right. previous relationship, they they obviously have a pretty solid relationship. I, to me, it seems like because I don't think you just spew that to anybody, even if it is your you know, your partner's ex or whatever it may be. Right.
1: Certainly, like, she presented it to the police, at least. She even said, like, I wasn't really pursuing it. You know, he was taking care of that family. So there was a sense of kind of, he's not a bad guy. That money may have been going towards helping support these other kids that she has a relationship to as well.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa
1: Uh, Going into uh, those accounts and and more conversations again about money, Uh, Christine wants to know where John and Vicky's bank accounts looked at. Amanda has the same question. Do we have proof? Of banking statements. I'm just kind of lumping these together. Christine says, John strikes me as a type of person who might not always use banks. If they came into cash, is there evidence they had it in the bank or would they have kept some at home if they weren't shy about talking about the fact that they were coming into money and people suspected there might be cash at the house, etc. Good question. Mm-hmm. And Autumn also says, did John have a legal entity pursuing him for the unpaid child support? That would be a solid reason to cash a check instead of depositing it into an account. So all that kind of around, could there have been cash in the house and do we have bank accounts to?
0: so as far as the legal entity no there's the way the child support works is typically if the the party owed the child support is not pursuing it the you know the child support the people that were in Michigan is called friend of the court uh, it's called different you know things in different states but the people that work in those divisions are so busy with so many thousands and thousands of cases. They're not going out poking around for trouble unless there's, you know, a parent coming in saying, I want to take this person to court. So there was no legal entity there. But we do know that he had multiple tax liens. And with the tax liens, they probably would be attached to his bank account where stuff could be taken right out of his his account, possibly if they had some sort of garnishment on there. Um, The way the tax liens work is really it's when you file your tax return, they get it. Right. So that would be one reason. As far as money around the house. So we have bank records. I've started to go through them. It's long and lots and lots of pages. I've been through them all. I haven't seen anything that really jumps out at me yet. But I haven't. I want to. I want to really analyze them. We also have credit reports, and they're complicated and don't really show much. But I want to try to be able to break those down to, to come up with some more solid conclusions. S- similar with the cell phone evidence. You know, there's. I've got lists of a bunch of numbers, but we really need to break down who's who and who called who when. Right. So, but but I did. I will say, I did find in the bank records. Uh, in August of the year before, uh, Vicky received a cashier's check for nine thousand and some change from Ron Friedley. So that supports what uh, what John's ex had said that sometime in the fall last, I think she said she thought it was October that John gave her a check for ten thousand right. dollars from the money, the first installment that they were owed from Ron. Well we now we see it was about ten thousand that she got from Ron in the fall okay. so that that was accurate. As far as money in the account, I, I, if they got the $175,000, if they did get that money, then it would have been cash because I can tell you that it's not in the bank. So I, it's based on the, – because there, there's some like late payments on their mortgage. It, it seems like they keep paying the mortgage like $39 less than it's supposed to be hmm. every month. Hmm. And so every month they end up getting a late charge because they're paying it short. That's interesting. But but based on some of that that you're seeing and and some of the things I think I am interpreting right on in the credit report, it sure doesn't seem like they've got 175 grand laying around anywhere, and it certainly wasn't in the bank.
2: That's a substantial amount of money. You seem like that much money, there would be some sort of paper trail attached to it. Like you you just can't go about that and just give it to somebody. I can't just give you 175 thousand dollars like without there being some notification of it. Right.
1: There's no indication right now that that particular sum of money had ever actually made it to them, but that there had been a previous payment. Lynn just volunteered, not a question, but um, a pension payment to an ex-spouse is controlled by federal law, not a decision of the retired worker. An insurance company, which was Lori's question, or the employer, Vicky's, could only be removed by her death. If Ron wasn't remarried, he could have married Vicky again to get his full pension, too. So some logistical stuff there.
0: Right. Yeah, and like I said, it was it was definitely the way it's supposed to be paid out is controlled by federal law, but the federal government's not doing it. it it's not like someone from the federal government is taking money out of Ron's account and putting it into Vicky's. They have the ruling from the judge that says she has to give or he has to give some of it to Vicky. And the basis for that how it gets paid out is based on this federal law, telling John like there's no way around this, but that doesn't mean that he can't go and try to fight that ruling and try to fight, you know, appeal against not having to do so. But yeah, that's right. There's, you know, two ways he doesn't have to pay it. One is if Vicky dies, he doesn't have to pay Mm -hmm. it because I don't believe in those circumstances from what I was reading um, that there is a survivor payout like, you know, well, if if he, he owed it to her and if she dies, then he has to pay it to the daughter. There's nothing like that in there. Um, so if she's dead, he doesn't have to pay it. And yeah, if he remarried her, he wouldn't have to pay it.
1: Well, let's get into some of these past relationships that we were talking about. Um, Kristen says, what do you know about Chuck? Do you have clarification on who Becky actually lived with in her senior year? And Amanda follows up with, does Chuck get interviewed by police?
0: Uh, from what I've seen, Chuck does not. I've searched through this file. I've read the reports. I've read through all of them. I have searched through the file for the words Chuck, Charles, anybody. I've not seen where Chuck is ever interviewed. As a matter of fact, we're still trying to. We have some some listeners have done some research. Not And again, I want to stress, do not contact people connected to any case we're working on. Uh, these people didn't. I just want to make that, that, that clear. But they were doing some research. They had some resources uh, and helped break some things down. Like we know that Vicky was married prior to Ron. In 1974, she was married to a guy named Michael. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. It's like Goodrich, but it's spelled a little funny. And then Tiffany was born in 1995, or 1975, and Michael is her father. Then they got divorced. They got with Ron. Tiffany said in one interviewer in court that, you know, it was like they were her and Ron were together. She was like six years old, and then they up and moved up to Pinion Pines. Mm-hmm. So then there may have been another, you know, another place in between there, but they moved up to Pinion Pines when she was like six. And then the the other two girls, Drew and and Becky, are Ron's kids. And then they got divorced. Then came Chuck, the boyfriend. All we know is Chuck. I do know that. Tiffany, at least, we heard mention that Tiffany was very close to him and Becky seemed to be too. We know Chuck was a very much a father figure and a grandfather figure to Tiffany and her children. He passed away in, in 2020, so he's Chuck is gone now. Still haven't figured out Chuck's last name mm-hmm. or if he was ever interviewed. Doesn't appear to me. I didn't hear anything that made me think he would be a suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody should be on the radar it appears that he had just a wonderful, loving relationship with at least Tiffany and her and her children. But that's really, that's kind of how that, how that timeline breaks down. As far as who she went to live with her senior year, it seems like it, like it was Chuck. It was not her dad. Her friends thought it was her dad, which, again, then makes me wonder, did she see him as like a father figure? And then, you know, so what was her relationship with her dad like if she considered this boyfriend of her mom's to be the father figure? That, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: because Catherine even said, you know, I was wondering about the reason for Becky going to stay with her father. So now we're saying we don't even know that she was going to stay with her father. It could have been Chuck. Was she uh, Catherine says was related to bad relationships at school or with her friends or to avoid the gang she might have been involved with, which I know we'll get into in a little bit. If so, this is quite a drastic, evasive step for her to take. So might shed light on why she was subsequently killed. But now you're saying we're not even sure that she was staying with her dad. It could have been Chuck.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Chuck. Okay. I don't yeah. think it was her dad. Yeah. But as far as why she moved out, the problem is, it seems that. Like, so we have her friends saying she tends to bend the truth a little bit. And we also have them saying she said that that's her dad, or their impression was at least that that's her dad that she was staying with. And then, so the people that would really know why she moved down there, back down into the valley to stay with Chuck, would be Becky, John, and Vicky, mm. probably, are the only ones that would really know. And of course, they're all gone.
1: Right. Megan asks the question I'm sure many people are asking, did the police ever view, ever interview Ron?
0: They did. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like they didn't investigate Ron. Ron was interviewed. Ron was polygraphed. He passed a polygraph. And we're, we'll get into... I don't want to jump too far ahead because when we cover suspects, we'll deeply go into all this. But I do want to make clear, yeah, Ron was interviewed. Ron was polygraphed. We'll get through the questions that were asked in that polygraph, what happened. So, But, yeah, they did investigate him. But But I will also say just... There was a little bit of, I'll just give you an example. There's an interview with a neighbor who tell police, a friend of mine said they saw Ron down, because Ron didn't live in the valley. He lived, um, I don't remember the city he lived in, but he lived a little ways away. And they said, a friend of mine said they saw Ron in the valley eating dinner at whatever restaurant on the Friday before the murders and the cop just just scoffs literally scoffs off and goes well we know that's impossible. Hmm. And they move on. I'll tell you this, I haven't seen anything in the report that makes that impossible. Hmm. Um but it just gives to me it just gave a little it seemed like we'll and, and we'll find out more when we dig more into it, but it was like man they really don't want to look that direction. I'll say this, the police get, are giving away way too much information in all these interviews when they should be listening. Right. They're constantly interjecting stuff on their own that they shouldn't be
2: interjecting since you brought that up i want to talk about one thing before it gets totally lost in the shuffle yeah please and that is the fact of the wheelbarrow Mm -hmm. and how there are other people that knew about the wheelbarrow i think that was a big thing even though it was such a minute thing that was in this episode i think Mm -hmm. that was a big thing that we now know that that it wasn't just javi's dad that knew about this or the police on the scene there was multiple other people
0: yeah, we, we know at least two neighbors knew about it. Mm-hmm. And so from there, we have to say we don't know who else knew about well, it. And,
2: I mean, I think those people would probably
1: tell a lot of people. I know everyone keeps to themselves. You would think but so. Yikes, that could spread quickly.
2: Well, and one of the neighbors, is a parent to one of Becky's friends. Right. Which means it could have got to the friend circle that way as well. Right. So, I mean, that was a big thing. And I, I just want to make sure it didn't get lost in there because I feel like it could have yeah, been because yeah. it was such a small part of this episode. But I think that was huge. You're
1: so, so right. That's a big deal. You're absolutely right. So Teresa Harris Dunn did write a very long post on Facebook, a post maybe even too long to be able to fully cover and read (laughs) um, in the in the follow. But lots of great stuff in there, Uh, Bob. Do you want to kind of summarize and just sort of tie up this past relationship stuff that we've been talking about?
0: Yeah, I think that's where. and, And yeah, Teresa, and I know Teresa's in the in the chat right now. Hi, Teresa. Great job. Lots of really well thought information. You can't write a book in the, in the follow-up thread because it's way too much for us to put on the on the show. It was really, I mean, really well thought out, but like about this long in the oh. in the thread. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is what I just kind of broke down before, which is, and actually Teresa helped find some of this information out that um, that we know about the the previous marriage, who Tiffany's dad was, then Ron, then came Chuck, then came John. So so that's the the stuff I just broke down a few minutes ago is kind of a lot of what she was talking about there and and how that timeline breaks out.
1: Nice work, Teresa. And Brian, who I think also just popped in, he pointed out that, you know, how likely is it? I know you said that they kind of glossed over and didn't want to look in that direction. But Brian did point out, you know, Becky's his kid. And so how likely is it that he would even be involved when his own daughter was a victim?
0: I will tell you this. When I first started looking at the case, I have people throwing all kinds of theories at me, and that was one of them. And my first thought was, I think the fact that Becky was murdered probably rules out her dad. Now, that was naive of me, and I'm not saying that I think there's a good chance Ron should even be a suspect. He's, But he should be a person of interest, for sure. I think we all agree with it, just like Robert and everybody else should. We're early. But I started thinking back, and it's like, we've seen husbands kill wives and wives kill husbands and parents kill children and children kill parents over money thousands and thousands of times so
1: if becky wasn't supposed to be there
0: right yeah we exactly we also have this possibility that becky not only wasn't supposed to be there but that she had left and come back and then there's scenarios where You know, and again, I I hate him because I'm, I'm not suggesting I want to make clear I'm not suggesting any of this happen. I don't know enough to even begin to formulate a theory about how any of this would happen. But there's always a possibility that that if there was some kind of involvement to try to from Ron to try to stop this payment that he would have maybe paid someone else to go do it or had somebody doing it for him. And then in that case, you could see how if that was, you know, if the plan was just to take out John and Vicky, Becky walks in on it, sees who it is, that she becomes collateral damage, where if maybe Ron himself was there, that wouldn't have happened. I don't know. But I guess my only resp- response to that is I don't think that we can rule out the possibility of Ron's involvement simply because Becky's his daughter.
1: Okay. I just was scrolling back, trying to make sure I didn't miss anything massive in the YouTube chat. And (laughs) Emma did mention something that definitely stuck out to me, too, which was as much as he was saying he wasn't trying to be gross. The boss talking about how sexy Becky was was just a very
0: hard listen. What a poor choice of words.
1: Oh, boy. He's like, not to be gross, but what a sexy, big-breasted girl. I was just like, oh, no, no, no. God, no. Yeah. Yikes.
0: There's been a lot of discussion about that on the fan page, and there've been people that have like defended, like, "Well, you got to remember the time," and no, he's an that, old that, man. The time
2: isn't an excuse. That no. was disgusting. It was yucky. I'll,
0: I'll, I guess I'll say, in his defense, I think that I don't think he intended that to be creepy. I think he intended it to be complimentary, but at the same time, damn, was that creepy. Yeah. You know, it was it was I definitely was like when I heard that. Well,
1: and also she's she's dead. And I don't know when these I I know that there's because because we know the Denny's people were not interviewed until seven years later. Obviously, we have a huge timeline issue happening with when people got arrested, what the investigation was doing for those seven years. I know you're going to get into all of that, but we continue to have this recurring theme in the YouTube chat and, and in questions and comments of people just saying like, why does no one seem that bothered? And I would say that, that him talking about how sexy she was in a weird way sort of enforces that idea and i don't know is it just people kind of turning the emotion off to try to be helpful like this is i don't talk about how sad i am to the police i tell them what could be useful and i take that time privately to feel sad but there's still some talk about that and i get it that people that being interviewed just just still don't sound that troubled by this happening i don't know
0: yeah it's 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 a weird thing and i and i see in, in the youtube chat Stephanie says there was no reason to leave that in sound like she's pretty upset with me for doing that these are all choices we have to make because I considered it I've and and I guess I'll default to what I've said many times before if someone says something to the police whether I agree with it or it's cringy or or not I think that it's it's they made the choice to say it and it needs to be in there because it's it in a way it becomes part of of her victimology, you at least get to, you know, this is how dirt, a dirty old man looks at like her. Like a
1: guy who's lonely at Denny's in the middle of the night also might say something similar. Yeah, I get it.
0: I made the choice, and I understand people may not like that, but I made the choice to leave it in, and it's part of the investigation. We don't get to just pick and choose what parts we like and don't like. You know, that's, just it's it becomes part it. of it.
1: Well, let's talk about the gang. That's that we've been dancing around it a little bit, but that was obviously something that um, came up in an interview and more than one interview, as it turned out towards the end of your episode. What's going on mm-hmm. there? Talk to us. Amanda wants to know, do we know anything about Becky's friends being involved in gangs? What's going on with with the with this gang thing?
0: That's a weird thing that was like it It was not from what I can see. It was not pursued by police. There's no, the gang unit never got involved in this case. There's no evidence that they were really looking into uh, whether or not there was some gang involvement. It comes. So there's, there's, there's about seven interviews where people hmm. are talking about gang. I didn't leave that. I didn't, I didn't play them all because a lot of them end up, um, they're all pointing back towards, you know, I heard from this person that she was in a gang and dah, da dah, dah, da, 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 da. So I go listen to that person's interview. And they're like, yeah, I heard she was in a gang. But it's like it turns into this like game of telephone. Um, So a lot of them are pointing back to the same thing. But it's interesting that you have, you know, every time the police go to talk to somebody, somebody's like, I heard she was in a gang. But then they never they never ask about a gang. They never they never try to look into a gang, but they just keep Hmm. hearing it.
2: But do they believe the gang side is far fetched? Could be because I, I feel like it's pretty far fetched. I feel like that's just a lot of teenage drama that they put out there. A lot of times that happens where you see people talking and they're like, you know, I've seen it in here, like in our area. But they're like, oh, yeah, so and so's in a gang. Yeah,
1: it can be racist, too. It can be a racist place to go. It's not to say that it always is or that it's always wrong, but it can be a good catch all.
0: Yeah. And I have no idea if it's accurate or not. I, I, we'll we'll see that. So you you have the Alex was his name was a, was an ex-boyfriend. That um, she dated, Becky dated between Robert and Jacob and uh, his mom. So there was, I don't remember how much of this made it into the episode, but Alex and his mom went up to the crime scene with flowers and talked to a bunch of the neighbors. I think, I think we did hear some of that talked about with one of the interviews we played and the mom had told the neighbors that Becky had stopped by after they broke up. She had stopped by the house. She was talking She's, you know, In the interview, she was like, she was there for a little while because I remember I fed her. She was really upset, and she got, her phone kept blowing up, and she was crying. In that interview, the police didn't, again, they don't ask, well, what was she crying about? Who was it that was calling her? They jump into something else. So I never got to hear it directly from her because they never asked her who was it that was calling her. But there was two or three different neighbors that were on the scene talking to her that all said she told them that, there were these gang members that won't leave her alone. And she was crying and they kept, they kept calling her. So it becomes hearsay because it's interviews telling the police that they heard from Alex's mom, that that's what happened when the police, but when the police interview her, she says she's confirming the hmm. story. She was there. The people were calling her. She, the phone was blowing up. She's crying. And they didn't say who was, who was calling her. So we never hear it directly from her, but, but, but I mean, I have follow, so once we get, past this part of it when we launch into our new investigation when we're done investigating the investigation uh that's when you know i I will probably try to reach out to some of these people and see if i can get an interview and get a little more clarification
1: i'm gonna move along just because uh it's my fault that i have a hard out but i literally am getting into a car to get on a plane which is uh,
0: Mm -hmm. in 12 minutes why,
1: why we only have the we have had an hour and we've used it but gosh this was such a packed full episode and so many great questions just to cover that that last piece that was brought up by uh, John's ex, uh, Kristen says, do you have any further information on the people who bought the land that's attached to Vicki's property? That was obviously another thing yeah. that was posited as a possibility uh, for revenge or whatever.
0: Yeah, I don't. I have land records. For, I mean, actually, I've met the guy that owns the property next door. Uh, when I went up there at night one time to see what it looked like at night up there, the guy was up there with his dog and I chat. But he just bought it last year, changed hands a lot since then so i haven't been able to track down records of who that was it also seems that's you know again it's on the list all these i, I want to point out to a guy named chris dolan who's been he's been on the show before i love chris he's on the fan page a lot we tend to not oh, always yeah. agree on a lot of things but we have some really good really good discussions and he had pointed out he's like well hey, you you know you said that this was you know far more important the money and all this than than teenage drama we i don't think we should be ranking victimology i want to point out that, that that he's right maybe i had a poor choice of words but to explain that is in my mind, when I'm looking at all these different elements, for me, the alarm bells are going off. Take names and faces out of this. Someone owes her 175 grand that they don't want to pay her. That goes away if she dies. That's a real significant victimology factor. As far as Robert is the ex, we don't have any actual evidence to support that he wanted her back or that he was jealous or even that he went on the hike. All we know is that he planned to go on a hike. Still could be a suspect. Hike still could have happened. All that. But so for for me. That's what got my attention more. But I also want to make clear when we get into actually doing a profile and the victimology is put into that profile, Jim Clementi will be coming on to do that, that, that you know, I'm not ranking these things to him. I'm going to give him the full list of them and let them just fall where they are.
1: Understood. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So for the crime scene, just kind of coming back to that, that's a question from Kelly. Bottom line. Yes or no question. How likely or unlikely do you think it was that Becky could have been burned in the wheelbarrow because she was I hate even saying this, uh, but that could she have been raped? Could something have happened to her? That would be a specific reason to want to destroy evidence.
0: We'll get into that stuff in the medical evidence episode um, where we will really dig into the report. Um, But I'll say this. I'm I believe The reason she was burned is just my my theory. I think the reason she was burned was to conceal evidence. To me, I see I see some criminal sophistication there. If there was some sort of a struggle, someone who knows like, oh, I'm going to have my DNA and hair and stuff on her. I think that that's why she got lit on fire, but that, that, that's not necessarily the case, but that's just w- what I lean towards.
1: Normale asks from Bob's experience as a fire investigator, what are the reasons that killers set fire to a dwelling after killing someone? I think you've talked a little bit about this. Could it cover up uh, bullets? I know in this case, it was said that sex of the bodies couldn't be determined, but police knew they had been shot and even determined the shots came from two different guns. So still some question from Normale around the burning of the bodies.
0: Yeah. So, so when, when, Arson is used in a, in a case like this. It's usually to do two things. One, it's to conceal a crime. You see a, a fire used to try to make something look like an accident. And then also you you see fire to try to destroy evidence. You know, I've seen, you know, I've personally been on cases where someone was murdered and put in the trunk of a car and then the car lit on fire. Well, the car wasn't lit on fire to hide the fact that it was a crime in that case. It wasn't to conceal the crime. It was obviously a crime. There's a body in the trunk of the car. The purpose for the fire was to burn away any evidence, any fingerprints, blood, DNA, anything like that, hair. Gotcha.
1: Catherine says, you said at the end of the episode that victimology analysis was complete. Does this mean that you uh, are up to date on the relevant case files, which might shed light on victimology? Do we kind of know that all the available information on potential risk factors has been covered or will be where there'll be more that's revealed later? I guess if you find more, there'll be more.
0: Yeah, so the, so these as you know anybody's been around for a long time we do this all in real time. So this so you got this is a dynamic something I say today I may tell you 3 weeks from now um, is I've changed my mind on that or there's new evidence to suggest that that was wrong what I said before um and that's not just me flip-flopping. This is all happening in we do a real time crowdsource investigation. When I said that we're done with victimology and everything that I found so far, that I think is 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 relevant for us to understand to move on to the crime scene. We have there's little more bits and pieces, um, nothing that I found very significant. I don't doubt that down the road, say when I call that Alex's mother, um, that maybe we get more information that'll come down the road. So we'll always be circling back to it. We're never done, but as far as like production of episodes, I've I've gone through and I think that everything that we need to get out that can be produced into a full episode is done. And so now we're going to go ahead and move on to the crime scene. It does not in any way mean that we may not circle back and learn more about victimology. But I I think that we've we've done enough that we can move to the next step. Okay,
1: And then the final thing I just want to kind of round up is uh, seen a little bit of it in the chat. Definitely a little bit of it in questions is just kind of returning to this idea of. Bob being um, objective versus subjective. The, Kate says, you know, this episode definitely introduced other potential suspects and motives. But I wish Bob would just concentrate on the investigation as an open investigation instead of focusing on how to cancel out the original investigation's outcome. I, she worries that maybe you're doing the same thing where you have tunnel vision of proving the cops are wrong. Um, and th- she points out that the intro really just the intro of the episode is where she felt like that was highlighted and that she could have done without the intro because it didn't make it sound as objective. And so, you know, there's just still people kind of talking about, well, do you even believe this could be a wrongful conviction? Have you already made up your mind? All that kind of stuff. If you just want to kind of put a button on where you're coming from when you say what you say and what your intention is, just maybe we can put that to bed for the rest of the season. Yeah, sure.
0: So I'll say here's the thing. I tell you guys this every season, either believe me or you don't, and I can't change that, but I will tell you the same thing. I'm very open-minded to this, to to this case, any case. I can't tell you if Robert Pape was wrongfully convicted or not. Obviously, in my pre-screening of the case, it looked like there was a good chance that is a possibility, and now we're investigating it, and I'm presenting to you what I find as I find it, and I'm not trying to just cancel out the police initially. I will be certainly willing to tell you if I if I dug through the case files, like actually it looks like they did a pretty good job here. I would tell you that, but they they didn't. They it's hard to argue they did in this case. And I'm and and the way this works, like it or not, because there's still people that are like, well, I don't know why you don't give us all the case files in on episode one. That's not listen, twelve seasons, people. Like if you like the show and you like the way we do it and you like being a part of a real time investigation, this is for you. If you want a full case file to go run out and do on your own, there's other shows. There's other you can find your own cases and do that with. That's just not the way. We operate. It's all for a reason. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking all that down for it. It's the way we've done it for 12 seasons, over a thousand episodes. We do it. This is the way we do it. Um, So, no, I'm not I'm not trying to just undo their investigation. I'm trying to find the truth in this case. In every case, I'm 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 very objective and open minded. If you guys were privy to some of the conversations I have in here with Zach and Mike, when he was here, you know, when I when I have doubts or questions and working through things and then share them on the podcast as they come up. But as far as like that introduction and and me saying, so this is the way this works. I research, I present evidence to you, and then I give you my opinion on the evidence. And then I do this episode to ask for your opinion on the evidence so we can hopefully through that conversation come up with the truth. And what you're asking is for me not to give you my opinion, not to say that, hey, this is not the only thing that was out there. They they seem to be focused here, but I'm about to show you there was a whole bunch of stuff going the other way like that I'm I'm not going to not do that. That's just that's just not the way the show's ever worked, not the way I operate. I'm not I saw a t-shirt the other day that I want to find that just says I'm not for everyone and that's me.
1: We every single one of us could wear a shirt like that, and it would be true. That's just a that's just that's just <laughs> empirically true. Um, okay. Well, I'm glad that you addressed that. I, my goal, um, it's a small one, uh, other than just wanting to always hear from Zap because I love your perspectives and I I love your thoughts on everything too, is um, to really not have to talk about that again. I really don't want to have to talk about that. I don't. I, I'm sure there are people who disagree. I'm sure there are people who agree, but I would love for this to be the last time that we have to directly address whether or not you are are being biased, or you're trying to push the evidence in a certain direction. I just don't think we have time for that. And so I'm hoping that, and so I don't think I'm going to read anything else like that again, unless it's specifically calling someone out. Jason or Chris, somebody who has a very specific reason why they're saying, I didn't agree with this particular piece of evidence that you said in this way. I always want to address that, but I feel like I I just want to push past this idea of every single follow up, having to address whether or not you're biased. I just, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. So uh, blame me if you're not, if your comment isn't read about that. I love you. I'm so sorry, but we're not for everyone.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and believe me, this has nothing to do with me, like having my feelings hurt. It literally doesn't, I've, I've I've been far enough into this to know that no matter what I do or say, when someone's still going to insist that, that I'm not going to change their mind. I don't care. You're welcome to feel that way, but we're not going to waste everybody's time who does like the way we do things. To talk about how you don't like me or the way we do things so they're just not gonna do it
2: Well, you know, I I'll jump in here for a second and just say you guys are gonna believe that I am Bob's cheerleader because that's what I'm here I'm his friend. Everybody knows that but I'm privy to a lot of conversations that you guys aren't outside of this And I know I know what we go through I know what Bob goes through and and we've had some challenging conversations ourselves off the air Um, Just because you guys do not hear them doesn't mean they're not happening.
1: Thank you, Zach. And with
0: that, Janet does have a hard out. I promised her by 1 p.m. Eastern time I'd have her out of here. It's 12.59. There I go. Uh, so we will go ahead and wrap this thing up. But thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. And this week, we're going to hear finally about the crime scene. Make sure you tune in on Sunday. Thanks, Janet.
1: Thanks, everybody. <laughs>
0: NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondering. Edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by song.com Our follow up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. TruthandJusticePod.com To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button to fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at Truth Justice Pod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver.
1: And I'm Janet Varney.
0: And this has been Truth and Justice.